0: Well, welcome to Redeemer City Church, Arbor Church edition, and so we're uh, glad you're here. That is uh, Jamie and Andrew Leatherman, by the way, and um, yeah, I. if, you know, church wasn't all about Jesus, uh, we, I would say more, but they are good, dear friends that we have enjoyed every second of uh, just journeying life together with, and um I'm just we're just really blessed to be friends with them. And and, you know, she sings a little bit. So that's not bad. But um, so uh, I don't remember if I even said my name. You said it twice, too. So my name is Carl Messenger, and I serve as pastor and one of the elders at the Arbor Church. Um, We um, gather at the YMCA on Sunday mornings um, and we moved in there back in October. And when we did, Uh, I live here in in the Heights, and so I'd always noticed your super cool metal sign, by the way. Super cool. A little jealous. And um, knew that, you know, I should connect with uh, this Mitch guy. And I think the way we connected, I I think his wife Camden was was stalking me on Instagram. And, you know, and then it comes up as like suggested friends. I don't know. I don't really know how that works. But so I was like, all right, Lord, you know, I'll I'll connect with, with Mitch at the very least. I like lunch, and so that's not bad and so um, we 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 met, and um, I was surprised that that i I liked him there's a whole lot more to that that my wife is not going to let me get into, though he did just say we had something special play back the tape it's in there but um. While all of that is true, um, you know, what I I love about Mitch is uh, his love for God's word, Um, for God's church. Mitch is a man who knows that he's under authority um, of not just the elders here, but even above them, uh, Christ. And um, that is a lot more rare than you would expect, which is strange (laughs) because this little thing says a whole lot about that. Um, and, and he's fun and really sharp and just all those things that, um, we got a second date out of it and, um, <laughs> and third, and even as Camden said, we went on a trip together. I mean, Mitch and I, I should clarify, they <laughs> and, and, and come out right. Um, and we will get to the Bible here in a moment, but it's just uh, it's it's just been a whole lot of fun, and so, uh, you know, I don't know what level any of us know about what God might be doing, but we have just sat with this. It's really started as a chuckle, like no joke. Um, we should check the, uh, the security cameras at the hall and that foundation, because you can probably just see us rolling our eyes, cackling, like, I don't know, like, what if maybe, I mean... Pfft. Like you're kind of doing a similar thing and like we're in the same neighborhood and like, I don't know. Weird. What if we like did it together? I don't know. And uh, and then as we got to know each other better, it was like, you know, isn't this the exact kind of thing that maybe the Lord would be about? Like, what is, what, is, what is 1 Corinthians 10 really saying? What is Jesus' exact prayer in John 17 that, that we, all future believers, would be one as he and the Father are one? Like, what does that look like? I don't think it looks like competition, though no one would say that. Um, that's, let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And so, here's the deal. Full disclosure. What does that look like? We don't know. <laughs> but we're open. And so, if you would join us in praying for us, praying for wisdom, you being open as well um, to what God's doing, and that's uh, that's not just a right now thing; that's a lifelong thing, right? And so, we're praying that we can hopefully model that imperfectly, as it will be, but we will attempt that. So, um, anyway, so yeah, welcome. We can do a sermon now. So, um, <laughs> I loved actually Mitch's. Old thing. I'm going to pig I'm just going to use his words and regurgitate them for the next forty minutes. You're welcome. And so. Um, I love that phrase. Like These are soul-questioning matters of faith. And that's heightened on Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, which is next week, by the way. And, and, but this is like life, right? This is a, we, we should lifelong be encountering, engaging with the Lord on, on, on soul questions. And so uh, I just really like that. And so um, if we believe that Jesus is still alive, which he is, um, and if, if you're not sure or you need a reminder, you're in luck. Hey, next week, you can come back here at 1030. Or if that's too late for you, it was a kind of long morning. Um, you can go at 10 up the road a few blocks where Jamie will be singing. Uh, so. No, I'm saying if any redeemer people try to get in the door, unless you're a spy, then we will not allow you. We will send you back where you came. But if Jesus is, because Jesus is still alive, then maybe he wants to do the same things today that he's always done and that he's done in scripture. Like it's not, hey, this was a cool thing and let's just live our lives. It's no, let's be about his business. Let's seek the heart of God and let's get, get in line with it and get about it. And so that's, uh, that's what we want to do. So we expect God to do something great. And we, we believe him when he says he wants to make all things new. And so we get an opportunity to. To so walk through that right now. And I don't know, that's pretty exciting. So, what better than Palm Sunday to kind of sit with that uh, together? And so, uh, thanks again uh, for having uh, us here, letting us crash a little, little party. So,. Um, the text that Mitch was in and well, that you've been in uh, all month here is is in the book of Mark. So turn there to Mark, chapter 11, Matthew, Mark. Mark is the second uh, book of the New Testament. So bookwise, wise is two thirds through. But um, if you can count pages, it's a lot more than that. But um, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke's too far. Mark, chapter 11. So here's the little visual for you. Um, so Mark um, records the gospel as he went back. This is John Mark, uh, who was a Gentile, but got um, caught up in a good way with, with the Apostle Paul and Barnabas in a bad way. But overall, a good, good things happening. And so as he went back and as he studied, as he heard at firsthand from these firsthand witnesses, he wrote his gospel. And, and his gospel is, is, is shorter, but it, it packs a punch and uh, written to a Gentile audience, which is most of us, by the way. Um, even though you're churchy and you know some, some Old Testament things. So Mark writes this. And in chapter 11, as, as Mitch shared, like, people had heard the renown of Jesus. They'd heard about this miracle worker and this, this, this man who was making bold claims. And so word had spread all over. They're approaching Passover uh, Sunday, which Passover, this is a fun little fact, um, Passover and Easter on the same weekend this year. Next weekend, this coming weekend, and so that's really neat. At the Arbor, we've been we've been kind of tying those in together. It's been a pretty fun little month for us, and so this is a really special thing. Easter can fall on any number of 37 days. It's really a strange thing with the moons and some pagan things, but um, but this year it's good, it's right, and it's Passover, and so that's going to be kind of. Kind of fun. And so we're going to soak that in even this morning, and I hope that kind of gets you excited as we walk through uh, this week. And so the people know about this. And as Jesus and his friends are are coming to Jerusalem, so are a million other people. Any Jewish person who was able to make the pilgrimage would join the roughly 600,000 residents of Jerusalem to come and worship the Passover. Remember what God has done and how faithful he is and always. Will be and so there's nearly a million people in the city because of that. Verse 11 says that Jesus and friends stayed um, over at Bethany. Bethany is is not a person, although I have a friend named Bethany, but Bethany is a little town. It's basically like the first suburb, if you would, of Jerusalem. And so they are staying um, over there in Bethany. And as Mitch shared, as Jesus enters Jerusalem a week before really a matter of a few days before Passover events begin, the people worship him appropriately as the Savior. Hosanna, save us now. And they're excited. We are living in the time. Can you believe it? For thousands of years, literally a thousand years since David lived, we've heard about it. And Passover, and we've remembered it. and We've gone through the ceremony. But, you know... Probably not going to happen during our lifetime, right? No, now, save now. And and they're worshiping him. And it's amazing. However, Jesus will be killed in a few days. And nobody knows it except for him. And what's worse is these very same people who are just going crazy, crazy. The Savior, David's kingdom is coming back. This is our king. The same people yelling that in a few days will be the same people yelling, crucify him, kill him. He is no king of ours. And so that kind of begs the obvious question. What could possibly happen from the whole Palm Sunday, King Jesus, what could possibly happen over the next few days? for these attitudes and allegiances to completely change. Well, Mark tells us here in chapter 11, and so um, I'm going to highlight the next three events that happened right after the Palm Sunday um, event. And you'll see on um, your sermon note card, there's some fill-in-the-blanks there. Uh, If you care to use that, if not, uh, I guess you can doodle, but I hope that you won't. And uh, so they're over there hanging out in Bethany. And on the way to Bethany, Jerusalem, there's really nothing there. But there is this lonely fig tree that Mark points out. Let's look here in verse 12 of Mark chapter 11. It says the next day. So this is this is what day you're smart people. Monday. Somebody. Thank you. Good job. So Palm Sunday. The next day is Monday. Good, good. So I I wasn't trying to make a joke there, although I did. But like, this is kind of neat. I'm going to give you a couple of the actual days here because the Jewish calendar is a little different from ours. They start at at 6 p.m. at sundown and we do the midnight. So there's a little crossover there. If you've ever wondered why, how was he in the tomb for three days? It's true. It's real. But anyway, Um, so Monday, as they went out from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. The good news, you're a lot more like Jesus than you think if you're, if you're hungry right now. Uh, um, and so the other good news is you're about to learn that I give longer sermons than Mitch. It's just my role in helping you be more like Jesus. And so you will not be able to get into the hall at mid- uh, midnight. That was, that was not intentional. At noon. The other 12. But if you ever feel like you get hangry, uh, I mean, listen, there it is. Jesus was too. So anyway, all right, Mark continues in verse 13. It says, after noticing in the distance a fig tree with leaves, Jesus went to see if he could find any fruit on it. This, this makes sense. have a Snickers bar. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Why would Jesus be looking for fruit if it's not the season for fruit? Well, it gets stranger. Verse 14. He said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Why is this in our Bibles? I mean, I'm just being dead serious. Why did Mark... And, and Matthew also Matthew was there, why did they record this little thing with the tree? And, and then I guess, okay, whatever, it's there, right? We're not going to take it out. And so why did Jesus curse a fig tree that wasn't supposed to have any fruit on it? It wasn't like, oh, this one bad tree out of a hundred. It was just whatever it was doing. And um, that's a little strange to me. And so this is going to come full circle as an object lesson here in a moment. But if you've got your sermon note card, this will help you remember too. jot down that first blank on these three events is that Jesus curses the tree and just kind of remember it there for you. And um, we will I will try to explain why he did that here in a moment. Now, our second event is pretty well known. still got your pen out. Keep it there. I'm going to give you number two right off the bat, is that then Jesus is going to go and cleanse the temple. So Jesus cleanses the temple is our, is our next little spot there. And uh, verse 15 tells us um, how crazy that was. It says, Then they came to Jerusalem. Jesus entered the temple area and began to drive out those who were selling and buying in the temple courts. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves and he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. Then he began to teach them and said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of robbers? The chief priests and the experts in the law heard it, and they considered how they could assassinate him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed by his teaching. Now, what I find remarkable about this is um, this isn't the first time that Jesus has done this. The Apostle John, who was also there, records that um, three years earlier on the first public uh, Passover of Jesus' public ministry, he walked in, same thing, into the temple, saw what was going on there, the blasphemy really, and, um, and he does this. In fact, then he kind of went Indiana Jones, he made a whip, and it was probably a little more severe. But he walks in here again three years later And nothing had changed. It's the same thing. They just... Okay, Jesus is gone. Mom's gone. Okay, let's go ahead and and make a mess again. And and he can't believe it. How could the ones who were spiritually called to shepherd God's people... How could they be neglecting their duty and getting in bed with these people just trying to, to make a buck? And I'd go even worse. How could these people... These spiritual leaders, these experts in law, how could they miss God standing face to face with them? Calling them to renew their zeal for for God's house and God's kingdom, the the real kingdom. For for, for them to, to see the heart of God and to see what God is about, setting captives free and healing people. How could they stand before God himself and do anything but bow down and worship? How is it that God's house, his temple, was no longer A house of prayer, as Jesus charges them. But a den of robbers. How is it that they built their own temples, their own kingdoms, not God's? I mean, they were praying, but with an E, not with an A. They were praying on these poor tourists, trying to get their money. Now, as Mitch shared, and I believe this is the first quote. There's some quotes on your card if you choose to, to follow along there. Uh, The people turned. uh, Why do they do this? Like, what what has happened? If I were to summarize, I would say this. The people turned on Jesus because they finally realized that he had come to do God's will, not theirs. They all had this image of what this Davidic kingdom would look like again. And then once it was clear that that's not what Jesus was doing. In fact, he was just upsetting what, what they liked, their own comfort, their own pocketbooks. Well, then they looked for a way to assassinate him, the text says. They refused to see Jesus as he truly was. They only saw him as they wanted to see him. I think if we're honest, we do the same thing sometimes, don't we? How do you see King Jesus? That's the sole question. Is he, is, he, is he just kind of there somewhere um, to give you the things that you want when you want them? Is he a, like a cosmic vending machine? And you go to him when, when you've reached the end of yourself, now, which is definitely do that. But might we want to do that before? Might we see him as more than that? Is he truly, as the scriptures say, as he himself said, is he not just our Savior, saved now, Hosanna, but is he also there to be the Lord of our lives? Where every day it's, Jesus, I need you. Like it's, I mean, there's times when I need you and everybody knows it. But then there's just all the rest of the time where I need you and I should know it. And so am I really walking that? Is he the Lord and is he the Savior of my life? Or is he just kind of there as a nice little, you know, accent to my good, comfortable, great, um, great life? And so that's just a question you need to sit with. And I'm with I'm with Mitch on that. Sit with that today, this week, uh, lifelong. And I know for me, I need uh, to do that um, as well, because the testimony of scriptures is clear. And this is the next quote. And this is a fact. Take it to the bank. God is up to something good in this world, in our communities, and in our unique lives. And I would add to that, our unique lives are different. And so what he's doing in your life and your life could be very different from mine. However, I think we'll start to see that, oh, wait, there's, maybe it's not too different. But it's okay that it's different. But be aware that God's doing that, right? And so as we understand that this is true... Our job is not to kind of conjure God up to do something good for us. Hey, God, I can't do this. Would you help a brother out? Thank you. No, now we start to see and know that he's doing something good all the time. He's making all things work together for the good of those of us, if we're called to him, and if we love him, and if we follow him. And so if we're doing that, if we're walking that, then we begin to realize that our job is not to, to kind of trick him into helping us. But it's for us to be aware, to pay prayerful attention to the good that he's already doing, because he is. And maybe we're just missing it, or maybe we're looking for something different or something more. But if we really pay prayerful attention, I trust that you'll see it in the world, in your community, and in your life. And so then it's at that time that we sense a call to not just be bystanders or spectators, but then we sense a call for us to be participants. And if we look at the triumphal entry that Mitch read, isn't that what they were just doing? They were just mere spectators. Now, they were getting excited, like at a football game. But then all of a sudden it was, whoa, this is what he's doing? I'm out. I like, I'm just going to spectate. I'm just going to watch. In fact, something crazy is about to happen. This guy's going to get killed. Let's go watch it, which is interesting. Again, I'd, I'd do that. Maybe, you guys look really spiritual. Maybe you, you don't really do that. But that's, that's something that for me that I really need to be reminded of. That Why are we here? Why, did, why in God's great grace have I come to know him? When I, I should not have. That I wasn't seeking him. That I, I wanted nothing to do. I didn't really think he was real. Yet, what am I doing here? And it's not because I've done anything. It's because he's moved in my life. And he's called me. He's called us. He's called you to get with it. To to hop in the game here. Not just sit there and enjoy how awesome Mitch is. Though he's special. <laughs> and so that's what he's... That's what... That's what the people were doing with Jesus right in front of them. And so how different are we really from the crowds? Simply amazed at his teachings. This is good teaching. And we like that he can do some things for us. Let's look at verse 20. Uh, In the morning, Tuesday, for those of you, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree, remember the fig tree, withered from the roots... Now, Peter remembered, and of course, he's the one who always spoke up. And he said to him, Well, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. And Jesus, of course, making it a teaching moment, said to them, I don't care about the tree. Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. If someone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea. And if you do not doubt in your heart, but believe that what he says will happen, It will be done for him. For this reason, I tell you, whatever you pray and ask for, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven will also forgive your sins. So Jesus says he's cursed the fig tree. He's cleansed the temple again. Now the said tree has miraculously or tragically might be a better word. Peter, people, uh, the trees died, and and now our third event is a faith-filled charge directly from Jesus to take it up with him. We will move the mountains. We will. It's not hey, you know, Peter. Glad you said something because you're special. You can do it. These other guys, just watch, just be spectators. All those people watching. You're going to miss out because if you truly believe, ask and it will be done. Move the mountain, right? And so I, I could just probably close the sermon here and say, ready, go. You guys just go do it, right? Like a piece of cake. Well, it's while it's a simple charge, um, we probably all know that um, we haven't really maybe thrown a mountain into the, the Gulf, of Mexico in a while. Partially because there's no mountains here, so bad cultural example. But, you know, you get the point. You've seen a mountain before. If not, Google it. And so, sure, obviously, literally, none of us have ever moved a mountain without, you know, dynamite. Or some of you have a really cool blue-collar job. I'd love to hear about that later. But, but, But that's not what he's saying, right? But I bet in this room... Hundreds, thousands of stories of God moving spiritual mountains in spite of you. Amen. Not because, oh, you know what? I can tell you quite a story where I was the hero uh, again, actually. No, 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 but we have moved mountains. But I'd also guess, and I, I would love for this just to be true about me, but I got a hunch it's not just true about me. We haven't, all the mountains that we've wanted to move haven't moved. And all the mountains that we prayed for haven't moved. All the obstacles in our life, there's still some there. And so this last little text here that Jesus gives us, it kind of, unfortunately, for our time, but fortunately for our faith, it kind of opens up a whole other Pandora's box here, a whole other question. And if you've read ahead, you see it, which is, well, why haven't all of the mountains moved? And Jesus in his own words gives us three reasons, perhaps, why those mountains, those obstacles, those thorns, if you want to use the Apostle Paul's terms, although I guess if I now I'm going to quote him, I've got to add a fourth one, which is because he said so. Okay, so you can add that on there because so that we would learn that his grace is sufficient. So I just blew up my own sermon there. Thanks for that. So three and a half reasons why <laughs> the mountains don't move. I'm low on coffee, or not. And so, let me quickly highlight these three reasons. One, because we're looking at the wrong mountains, right? I mean, isn't, isn't that really what it is? But I want that mountain. Well, Jesus doesn't. I can get my Paul thing in here, back to three. Maybe Jesus doesn't want you that thorn gone. Or maybe that's not even the mountain you just think it is. Right. And so I guess the way I I would I would do this and this is at risk of offense, uh, which you've figured that out by now, probably about me. But consider your last 10 prayer requests. Don't nobody say them out loud. How many of them were about health or money? And listen, Jesus says, cast all your cares, me Jesus says, pray for all things. He literally just says that. So this is not like, how would you pray for your sick grandma? What is wrong with you people? Not at all. No, no, no. Absolutely. Pray, 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 pray at all times. Pray for all things. Pray without ceasing. But I know for me, I don't know if any of you journal your prayers. I don't. Um, but um, but my wife does. And it's like amazing um, to look back and see what God's done. But but I know for me, a lot of times, like, hey, what have I really prayed about this week? Oh, it's a whole lot of me. And so maybe a better thing than me calling out money or, or health or any other specifics is, you know, just look at your, your last ten prayers or your last month of prayers and how many of them were about about you. I've heard it said, and maybe you've heard this, um, and I don't think I've seen who has said it first, um, but if if all of your prayers were answered, um, would the world change or would, would just your life change? And so sometimes we're looking at the wrong mountains. Sometimes we're praying for the wrong mountains, and, and if we're honest, a lot of times it's, It's maybe a convenience part of the mountain. We just want to build a highway right through it, and God doesn't want to. Jesus said, and this is a quote here um, on your card, um, Jesus said that our faith moves the immovable. I mean, like, there it is. And so let's find out what mountains that need to be moved, the mountains that Jesus has come to, to set free, that he's come to usher in his kingdom, and then let's get about that business. And let's pray for those things. Our faith moves the immovable. So also with this, I'd say, don't say, yeah, but that's, I mean, how could that move? How could God save my marriage? How could God move in and grab a hold of my kid or, or in my workplace or, the, or my, even my homelessness or whatever it is, or, or it feels like I'm just wretched or I feel lonely? All these things, my depression, like, this, yeah, but, I mean, it hasn't happened yet. Well, let's get at it. Let's get at it. So maybe we're looking at the wrong mountains there. And so it's a soul question. Maybe maybe we can get beyond some of the um, cheap self-serving miracles we always ask for. Okay, that that was to me. Number two, we lack faith. I mean, it, it, this is kind of 101 here, right? It's literally what Jesus said. If we have faith to do it, just do it and it'll happen, right? I mean, there we go. Click your heels together. So we lack faith. We lack maybe the faith to believe. Like, I don't, I don't know that God could or would do that. Maybe we lack the faith to ask. Maybe it's, yeah, but who, who am I that God would be mindful of me? Well, if you've ever prayed that, you may not know it. You just quoted scripture. And so that's a good thing to be in. Thank you, David. And so maybe we just lack the faith. Do we question God's goodness? That he cares? Well, he says he does. And he's, forget what he said. That didn't come out right. Let's go more than what he said. He, 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 he proved it. Look at what he did. Isn't that what Easter is? He didn't just come and say some things. The crowd were amazed at what he said. But when he did it, faith was lacking. And I think this is the central theme of Mark 11. Is that the Israelites, from the top down, lacked genuine faith. And that's the example of the fig tree. You're wondering how on earth I was going to get that back in here. Is that the Israelites' faith was just like the fig tree. Green and full of promise. A beautiful tree from a distance. Good from far, but far from good. Beautiful on the outside, but no fruit. A comfortable shade tree, but really no sustenance. Their faith had become like This useless, now dead and withered fig tree. Its only use would be firewood. Which, that's a prophetic line, because in 70 AD, that's exactly what happened. When the Romans, enough of the petulant Jewish leaders trying to get ahead and steal scraps from Caesar's table, they leveled Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple. Yet to be rebuilt nearly 2,000 years later. Some of us will be alive in 2070. It won't be me. And you can celebrate that. 2,000 years of no, of no physical temple because, as Jesus said, I'll raise it in three days. And if I really wanted to give you all the days of, of, of Passion Week, I would get there, but that's coming at another time. And so we lack the faith. And so Jesus gives this example because faith is the soul question. And, and the very people dining with Jesus, engaging with Jesus, God himself missed it. But this faith, this personal faith is there for the asking. If you just trust Jesus fully. And if we stop doing it ourselves, guilty. And just be open and let God do it amazing what he'll do. He'll move mountains in our lives, in our communities, and in the world. You'll see it and you'll notice it. Now listen, there's not a single person in this room that's not that doesn't want that. You're like, "Okay, it sounds great, right? Cool. Where do we what do I do?" Well, that begs this question. What could possibly prevent this from happening? Like, "Okay, I'm with you." Like faith heals. What do I got to do? Amen. Why doesn't it happen? And I think it's intentional how Jesus ends this teaching moment with Peter and the disciples. And that's our third point: is perhaps we lack forgiveness, and um, I mean that in every sense of it, to and from others, right, and or to and from God. And working backwards, the God part is is number one, right? If we are one with him, if we are getting our very life source from him, if our entire life is is built upon him and us knowing that how wretched we are, that apart from him we can do no thing, that's number one. Am I forgiven? Am I living a free life, not because I'm perfect, because I'm not, but because daily, hour by hour, minute by minute, second by second at times, I need more of that forgiveness. I need more of him and less of me. It's also in Scripture. And so we lack forgiveness. So there's good and bad news here, right? So that's the good news. The good news is, hey, it's Passion Week. Yay. That's the great eternal good news, literally, of Easter, is that he has come and he has paid the full price for our sin and our shame. He has overcome that. He has taken the brunt. He has been that scapegoat so that we could be forgiven and redeemed and righteous before God, not of our own flesh, but through the veil of Christ. So that's the good news. His worthiness trumps our unworthiness. The what I'll call bad news, hate to break it to you, um, is, is that it's, it's very much uh, an idea that it's very much true that we do lack forgiveness in our lives. I know it's true for me. Matthew records Jesus say on the Sermon on the Mount, there's two little chunks here where he um, mentions quite directly forgiveness or like interpersonal strife and like things like that. And so in his own words, he says he's talking about giving, right? But he's not really talking about giving. He's talking about how you give, not what you give. And he says, first, if you're going to go present an offering. He says, first, go and be reconciled to your brother that you have strife with. How many of us take that literally? Not me. And then he says, the next chapter, he says, and you maybe heard this. If you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Okay, I'm good with that. But he didn't stop there. Then he says, but if you don't forgive others of their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. That's a heavy word. I can see why they killed them. Perhaps the immovable mountain in your life is a lack of forgiveness. And we all have work to do uh, in this area. I have many wounded relationships. Twenty nineteen alone, probably even in April. And and that's just the human condition. We are at war with ourselves, with each other, enmity with God, Scripture says. It is it is a reality of our flesh. I mean, look, Cain and Abel. I mean, how long did it take? Not long. And for me, I daily, daily, I mean, daily, I need to get better metrics here. I constantly battle my pride, my arrogance. That's why I'm like, I'll meet with Mitch, but it's going to be horrible like all the other people like him that I meet that I don't like. And they do it wrong, but not Mitch. And and I, it's just I'm so judgmental. I I mean I I use the example and you're laughing, but it's so true. I'll just size the guy up. Yeah, in fact, the only thing wrong with Mitch is he's taller than me. Um, but like, and I'll just no that that guy that that girl that person. They did what? They said what? They believe what? No, I can't, I can't, I'm not, I'm out. Because after all, look at me, and look what I know, and look at how I do it, and we do it right. I mean, it's sickening, actually. Yeah. But I I haven't shook it yet. And um, that might be an area where we're actually not great for each other. So please help us with that. It's, it's, It's bad. I need to forgive others for the hurt they've dealt me. People in this room... And and I know that I need you to forgive me all the time of the hurt that I'll deal to you and do. Especially if you love trees, I've already done that. I've uh, probably already said something that's upset you, or you're like, I don't think that's theologically right. Please please come to me. You know, don't just stew on it. But that's going to happen. You know, and, and I just you know that's just reality. And so I need to be aware of that. I need to be be so humble, and I'm not. And so. Please keep me accountable on that. Um, I'm in constant need of forgiveness of others. And so as we, as we kind of look at, at that, so this, this idea that faith is a soul question, right? As, we, as we're sitting with that, as we're trying to, to make that real in our, in our lives, um, this faith becomes more robust. It's, it's not just, yeah, yeah I believe for the Bible tells me so. It's faith that he can. It's faith that God will, that God wants this, that God is about making all things new, that He's about redeeming His people and His city, that He has great love for this city and for our lives and our communities and this world. It's faith that we're going to get about it. And it's also faith that forgiveness is a factor. We can't just overlook that and say, well... Yeah, sure, probably, maybe, okay, that guy, that girl, yeah, me, them. Jesus only. No, it's it's all of us together. And so who do you need to forgive? Perhaps a parent? A caretaker? Your spouse? A child? A friend? A co worker? perhaps a pastor or someone who claimed to be a Christ follower or someone who was a Christ follower because we sin too. You know, maybe maybe that person you need to forgive is yourself. And you just haven't let God come into that hurt or that mistake or that sin or that lifestyle and you just haven't allowed him to do what he's come to do. And maybe, and I think this is, at least seems like the toughest one, but actually can be done, is perhaps the person you need to forgive has already passed away. What do you do with that? I mean, I guess you could go to the cemetery. But there are serious, deep soul ties. Generationally long. It might go way back. That need to be broken. That Jesus has come and he stands there asking you, ask and knock and I will break them. And I will set the captives free. Just ask. That's the mountain probably that you need to deal with. And so don't lack the faith and don't just move past the forgiveness. It's a factor. It's a big one. And if we lack it, let's get about it. And so that's the beauty of Passion Week, that Jesus has paid the full price. It can be done. There's nothing magical about what I'm saying. I'm just telling you what he's done and what he's declared and what he wants to do in all of our lives, starting with mine. And so who do you need to forgive? You may notice on your card there, and this, you're not turning these in, okay? This is yours to keep. But there's a little lie at the very bottom. I need to forgive, and then there's some space. I just, I just guarantee that there's some names popping into your head. Maybe jot it down. And I also guarantee that if you sit with this throughout the day and throughout this week, what a perfect week, guys. And if you just consider what, what God did this week for us, nearly 2,000 years ago, how he's, he's come to, to set us all free and make us one, that we be known by our love, not our, our judgments even if they're right, correct? Who do you need to forgive? Take that sheet home. I'm telling you, if if your heart is is half as bad as mine, put that on your mirror in your bathroom. You know, find a way to attach it on the the rearview mirror or your car so you can stick with it or on your dashboard. Like, you know, you used to put, like, your girlfriend's picture, like, in high school. Like, hopefully you don't still do that, but just... But or you do? You just great marriages. You know what? I got a how do you print pictures today? But I'm going to get one. I'm going to put a picture of Liz next to this this whole list. And it will be distracting for me. But, you know, sit with this. Who do you need to forgive? You know, as I've shared, this is a whole week of things, right? And giving you kind of the days. But um, what's really neat is you follow the account of, of the last week of Jesus life is uh, Mark records in chapter 14. You can slide over there. But two days after the fig tree lesson, um, so Thursday, Jesus and his friends gathered for the, the Passover meal. And um, he, he, he writes about it in verse 22. And as, as I read it, I'm going to set up um, what we're, what we're going to, how we're going to close at least uh, this part of the worship service. Jesus says this, well, Mark says what he was doing. It says, While they were eating... Again, the Passover meal, intentional meal. If you've, if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever, um, the, the term that's used today is called a Seder meal, S E D E R, but the Passover meal. Or if you have any Jewish friends, or maybe you've, you've tracked with some Messianic Jews, or just some Christians that you know wish they were Jewish for that reason, that was, that was not a joke. I have a, <laughs> my best friend's dad. Um, okay, and um, it's really, it's really awesome. It's really a powerful thing. So. That's what the Last Supper was. It wasn't just, oh, by the way, this is the last time Jesus ate. You know, um, This was an intentional thing where every single thing on the plate and on the table and the order with which it went through was intentional. And it told the story of God's redemption, of, of his love, that he will always be with us and never forsake us. And so that's what they're eating. And so it says Jesus took the bread. Now, the bread here, again, he didn't just grab the last dinner roll. Okay? This bread is, is the, it's the Afikomen. was like Africa without the R, Komen. And at the very beginning of the meal, there would be the three matzo bread squares, the unleavened bread. And you'd take the middle one, and you'd break it in half. You'd leave half there with the other two, so two and a half. And then you would, in fact, this will be perfect. So you take the one not perfect. But I got another chance. Excellent. And you break it in half. And you know what you would do with it? Take a wild guess. You would wrap it in pure white linen like this. And then I guess it was like children's ministry first century is that then the kids would would go and hide it in the room. And they just put it over in the corner or something. And then you do all the motions. It's the very end of the Passover meal. And Jesus doesn't just grab what's left on his plate. He goes over in the corner and he grabs the afikomen. And, and he says, and he unwraps it out of the linen. And he gives thanks, Mark says, and he, he breaks it and says, This is my body, this one that we set aside. Afikomen means I am come. It was set aside because one day God would come for us. Jesus says, it is saved now. I have come. This is my body broken for you. His disciples still didn't understand him. And so then he does the most amazing thing. And then he takes the cup. Now, again, it's not, hey, guys, hey, it's been great. Cheers. Three and a half years of raising hell. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Literally. I'm going to miss you guys. You no. Know, that was really poor timing and a really serious moment. John White, I'm so sorry, do not email me. I know. I love you. Um at the Passover meal, the Seder meal, so there's thirteen guys there, right? You got Jesus plus twelve. There's thirteen there. They would set fourteen settings. So they'd have their own, and then over here you'd set the table, a setting for Elijah, because the role of Elijah was to be fulfilled to prepare the way of the coming of the Lord. And so Jesus doesn't take his cup. He goes over and he takes Elijah's cup. And he says, this cup sacrifice, this cup of praise is my blood. No No one ever took the cup of Elijah because it wasn't theirs to take. Only God himself could be enough blood to cover all of our sins forever. And he takes the cup. He says, this is my blood, the blood of the covenant, the new covenant that is poured out for many. I tell you the truth. I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. it's through the sacrament of, of communion that that we remember. Says, do this in remembrance. I mean, remember what he did. And on Palm Sundays, remember this final week that he ushered in. And the great lengths that he went to for us, for you. C.S. Lewis says it. I mean, my Arbor people know. He were They were keeping track. He's going to do a whole sermon without mentioning C.S. Lewis. Never! <laughs> he, he says, and he's right. Because C.S. Lewis, hashtag, is... If you were the only man that ever existed, he'd have done no less. And it's a fact. Now, it doesn't matter because there's more than us. But your mountain, your sin, your struggle, your story, your soul ties, he'd have done no less. You're not unreachable, you're not on your own, you're not doomed to your fate. Whatever hand you're dealt, Jesus has come, and he's demonstrated God's heart. The Apostle Paul instructs us to examine our hearts um, when we partake of the elements, and um, I think we ought to agree with him and take that seriously. And so even with a kind of a, a heavy, you know, Palm Sunday sermon here, as we sit with Words like forgiveness as we as we consider, wow, what, what, what is my faith? Does it lack or what, what degree does it lack? And as we as we look at at maybe if I've been looking at the wrong mountains or whatever it is that that God spoke speaking to you, um, we would do well to to sit with that for a moment.